Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part three of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session three, the power and the pathos of the revelation, relishing its ability to transform. One of the most powerful aspects of these 10 proofs is the fact that it genuinely, truly changes lives. How do you remark back to the fact that when someone encounters this text, they are changed? When someone encounters this person who's just a historical person named Jesus Christ, why would it be that their entire life could be changed? How could people that are drug addicted suddenly leave their addictions and walk away? How could people that are so polluted in their minds suddenly be marked by purity? You cannot do it any other way but by the power of Jesus Christ. And when people come and believe the simple word of Scripture, they're changed. So here's a review, our key truth points. Truth number one, God's word is in fact and in truth God's word. Truth number two, Jesus is God and is, in fact, and in truth, God's word made flesh. Truth number three, the construction of the Bible is supernatural. Now we're going to add three truth points for this one. We're covering a lot of ground in our final session here. Truth number four is the preservation of the Bible is supernatural. How was this Bible preserved? Well, when you see how it was preserved, then you suddenly have to say, wow. Truth number five, the accuracy of the Bible is supernatural. Truth number six, the life-giving impact of the Bible is supernatural. That's a pretty good list. So the ten simple proofs, let's go through a quick review of the first three that we've covered. Proof number one, it is supernaturally built. Proof number two, it performs what it promises. And proof number three, God himself declares it to be a supernatural revelation. Hey, if God himself is declaring it, we can believe it just on that point. Did you know that you could not even know about any of these 10 proofs and still believe the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God? Why? Because it changes you. In other words, you don't even have to have this. However, the more you understand Scripture, its heritage, its history, and its believability, the stronger you get. So, let's know it. Proof number four. Though strong empires have sought to destroy it, no one has been able to stamp it out. Then entire nations and empires have conceived and plotted and planned to eradicate the word of God from the earth. And guess what happened? The empire itself was destroyed. It's just a book. Hey, it's just a book. And the people that follow it are mild-mannered and turn the other cheek. How do you explain this? No one can stop the Bible. No one. <laughs> just, it's truly amazing. So here's Josh McDowell uh, excerpted from a ready defense. The Bible has withstood vicious attacks of its enemies as no other book. Many have tried to burn it, ban it, and outlaw it from the days of Roman emperors to present-day communist-dominated countries. Voltaire, the noted French infidel who died in 1778, said that in, in 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history. But what has happened? 
Voltaire has passed into history, while the circulation of the Bible continues to increase in almost all parts of the world, carrying blessing wherever it goes. For example, the English cathedral in Zanzibar is built upon the side of the old slave market, and and the communion table stands in the very spot where the whipping post once stood. The world abounds with such instances. As one has truly said, we might as well put our shoulders to the burning wheel of the sun and try to stop it on its flaming course as attempt to stop the circulation of the Bible. H.L. Hastings. This is an incredible quote. Infidels for 1,800 years, it shows you when he wrote it, because it was probably in the 1800s. Infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book, and yet it stands today as solid as a rock. Its circulation increases, and it is more loved and cherished and read today than ever before. Infidels with all their assaults make about as much impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. When the French monarch proposed the persecution of the Christians in his dominion, an old statesman and warrior said to him, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. So the hammers of infidels have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are worn out and the anvil still endures. If this book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and popes, kings and priests, princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it. They die and the book still lives. Oh, what a quote! Bernard Ram. This, these are great quotes. I actually, I was, one of my last cuts today, I was like, oh, I just don't want to cut these. <laughs> a thousand times over, the death knell of the Bible has been sounded. The funeral procession formed, the inscription, inscription cut on the tombstone, and committal read. But somehow, the corpse never stays put. No other book has been so chopped, knives, st- sifted, scrutinized, and vilified. What book on philosophy or religion or psychology or Bell's letters of classical or modern times has been subject to such a mass attack as the Bible? With such venom and skepticism, with such thoroughness and erudition upon every chapter, line, and tenet. And yet the Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, and studied by millions. Proof number five. It has been better preserved than any book in history. Now, I didn't give as much evidence on this as I could. I cut far too much out, but uh, hopefully I have enough to uh, make it a a worthy point here. Being written on material that perishes and having been copied and recopied for hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press did not diminish the style, correctness, or existence of the Bible. Compared with other ancient writings, it has more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. Professor Williams from Bowdoin, he was a former Bowdoin professor of Sanskrit, who spent 42 years studying Eastern books, he says, pile them, all the sacred Eastern books of antiquity, if you will, on the left side of your study table, put place, but place your own holy Bible on the right side, all by itself, all alone, and with a wide gap between them. For there is a gulf between it and the so-called sacred books of the East, which severs the one from the other utterly hopelessly and forever, a veritable gulf which cannot be bridged over by any science of religious thought. Sir Frederick G. Kenyon, who is the director and principal librarian of the British Museums and second to none in authority for issuing statements about ancient manuscripts, the interval between the dates of original composition of the New Testament and the earliest extant evidences becomes so small as to be, in fact, negligible in the foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as firmly established. Proof number six, it is astoundingly accurate in its histories and accounts. 
Nelson Gluck, the former president of the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, says, in all of my archaeological investigation, I've never found one artifact of antiquity that contradicts any statement of the word of God. That is an amazing statement. Robert Dick Wilson, I've been extremely fascinated by this man. He was a famous linguist, master of 45 ancient languages. Supposedly, he spoke them fluently. 45! And he was a scholar of ancient manuscripts. This is what he says. There are about 40 of these kings living from 2000 B.C. to 400 B.C. He's talking about the kings as, as chronicled, I, I believe, in First and Second Chronicles. And they appear in chronological order with reference to the kings of the same country and with respect to the kings of other countries. No stronger evidence for the substantial accuracy of the Old Testament records could possibly be imagined than this collection of kings. Mathematically, it is one chance on 75, and I think it's like 22 zeros, that this accuracy is mere circumstance. To detail history so accurately that matches with every civilization around it. When they do archaeological digs of an additional civilization, what do they find? That what the Bible said about the king or the ruler at that exact time in that piece of history is precise and accurate. The Bible is true, even in its histories. Proof number seven. To be honest, it's too honest to be human. Every other dynasty, every other empire that is sought to chronicle its histories is usually, it's issued forth by the king or the, the monarch, and they will have someone come in and write the histories. But what do all those writings usually say? They praise the monarch. They say everything good about the monarch. The Bible, what does it say? Everything bad about its monarchs. Have you thought about that? Wait, wait, wait. What? This book actually details the sins of its leaders. Well, what kind of book is that? Obviously, it's not a book that all the leaders got together and said, hey, let's write a book. Who wrote this book? Was it the peasants that came together and said, let's write a book about the sin of our leaders? No one wants to just meditate on the sins of their leaders. And yet this book is so honest that it's impossible. No one would ever write this book and then the Jewish nation considered it canon. These are their forefathers. That's their great, 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 great grandpa. And yet they say it's God's word. And they would defend it with their life. John Wesley said, this book had to be written by one of three people. Good men, bad men, or God. It couldn't have been written by good men because they said it was inspired by the revelation of God. Good men don't lie and deceive. It couldn't have been written by bad men because bad men would not write something that would condemn themselves. It leaves only one conclusion. It was given by divine inspiration of God. <laughs> Proof number eight. The power of darkness stands virulently, which means very uh, angrily, against this book. You know, that in and of itself should tell you something. Why this book? Well, this book is about love and kindness and goodness and truth and law and order. Why is it that there is such opposition to this one singular book? Because all the powers of darkness that hold men enslaved, it's against this book. The powers of darkness have been attempting to snuff it out, discredit and undermine its credibility since the beginning. Why not pick on the books of Homer, Sophocles, Thysodides, Cicero or Virgil? What is it about the Bible that deserves such spite, such hate, such opposition? Is it that it teaches love, kindness, and mercy? Is it that it commends, commands equity and justice? Is it that it gives hope, ministers peace, and offers salvation? 
If this book was just a simple literary anthology of wise thoughts, it would not receive the attacks it has received. You see, this is a supernatural battle, and the one who is set against it is Satan himself. That should be a proof to you right there. Proof number nine. Simply put, this book changes lives. The great Christian men and women from history past all agree that if you heed its words, if you believe its content, if you obey its commands, you really do live. Just read some Christian biographies. I could give you a whole list of them. And what you'll find is that when men and women believed the words of Scripture, they were changed. And this is true all throughout the ages and generations. That in and of itself is a proof. James 1. You see, the Bible itself clarifies that this logos, this word, is what changes lives. So it says in James, every good, gift and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth. How did he bring us forth? How did he give us this new life? By the logos is how he did it. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted logos which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the Logos and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What brings new life? It's the Word of God. That's what James says. And you must receive with meekness this implanted Logos. It is meant to live inside of us and alter the course of our life. And then in 1 Peter it says, being born again. How are we born again? Not of incorruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Logos of God. That's actually the word used, which lives and abides forever. Proof number 10. Men and women throughout history have gladly died to preserve its every jot and tittle. This is a proof. You know that most people, if they were making something up, would not die to preserve it. They would run. However, what did all the apostles do? You know that every single one of them was martyred? John was exiled to Patmos and, as far as we know, died of old age because rumor has it no one knows exactly what happened with John. That's, that was more funny than anything, but he probably died of old age. However, he was thrown into a pot of boiling oil. You know why they exiled him to Patmos? They didn't know how to kill him. And so all the apostles, the ones that wrote the testimony, gladly and willingly died to defend it. What do these guys have? You see, that's a proof. You know that all throughout history, men and women have died for this sacred text? Men and women have been brutally killed, cut into pieces, burned at the stake. Why? To preserve the integrity of this book. I love this quote from Blaise Pascal. I prefer to believe those writers who get their throats cut for what they write. He's talking about the Bible. So he says, I believe it. These guys were killed because they wrote it. You know what? I think that shows a true, genuine authenticity. It's not just the original writers that were willing to die, but throughout history, the men and women that read these words and believe these words were so transformed by these words that they too were willing to suffer cruel deaths and endure great privations in order to preserve the integrity of every word within the Bible. I'm going to give you a bonus proof number 11. You don't have to include this in your list, but I would highly encourage you to think about it. I, Eric Ludi, have personally been changed by this book. You know that's what every single one of us should be able to say? 
we have bonus proof number 11. When we come to someone, we could share with them the fact that, yes, these are reasons why you should treat the Word of God as if it is, in fact, the Word of God. But let me give you a more personal reason. I have beheld its supernatural power. I have been changed by it. I believed it, and I'm a new man. That's what I want to encourage every single one of us in here to consider. Have you been changed by it? How do you approach the Word of God? Are you above it? Are you beside it? Or are you beneath it? It's only when you bend your knee and believe it and say this is in fact the Word of God that you will find the life-giving substance of it course into your being and change you. It has authority to alter the course of your life. The very one who created the heavens and the earth is the very one who fulfilled all that word of God. He is, in fact, the word of God. The word of God is not just a text. It's a person. And I can tell you in whom I believe. I believe in the word of God. And that is an accurate statement. I believe in the word of God in text. But even more importantly, I believe in the one the word of God in text points to. And that is the word of God in person. Remember I said it's like a treasure map? If you clip off pieces of the treasure map because it's unwanted, you don't really want to have to climb that high hill and go down into that low valley. You don't want to have to cross that miserable river that's rushing rapids. That's dangerous. If you trim it off, you'll never find the treasure. You see, the only way to find the treasure is to heed this map implicitly. What it says is truth, and it's the only way to the Father. The Father says, look, I want you. I love you so much that I've given you my word. I've given you everything you need. And when you turn to it, when you heed it, when you believe in it, you will live. You will find the Father. So we are the bearers, the protectors, the sentinels that stand guard around this sacred text and this sacred person that the text reveals. This is our job. We are called Christians. And as Christians, we will gladly lay down our life to preserve every jot and every tittle within this amazing, supernatural book of books. Thank you so much for listening to part three of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.